0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Radio Free HPC. This is the show where we talk about supercomputing, high-performance computing, and other tech topics. I'm Dan Olds, joined as always by our co-hosts, Henry Newman from Seagate Government Solutions, Shaheen Khan from Orion X, and Jesse Lanham, our millennial standout co-host. Now let's get to the show. Dan Olds here, and it's time for another episode of Radio Free HPC, so sit back and we'll serve you up a heap and helpin' of, well, whatever we come up with. As I said, I'm Dan Olds. We've got Shaheen down in the valley. How you doing, Shaheen?
1: Is this time I just praise you or should I say I'm doing well?
0: I think you could do both. <laughs>
1: Why choose? Well, excellent job, Dan O, introducing us, and I am doing well. Thank you. It's a nice day in California and it's quite empty outside.
0: Very good. We've got Henry Newman up in the great white north of Minnesota, he has got, what, 37 days until you make the move to Las
2: Cruces? No, Dan, it's the two single-digit prime numbers multiplied. We're at 21.
0: We're at 21 days? Yes. Holy, oh, wow. I thought you said 37. Okay, that's great. No. That's time to start. Three
2: times seven is 21, Dan.
0: Thank you, Henry, for that education (laughs) in prime numbers. I would never have guessed that. You said 21. I thought you'd said 37 before, but it's 21, and I think that's awesome. It's very awesome for the people of Minnesota. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Henry, how are you going to physically do this?
2: There's a moving truck and packers that will come to our house.
1: So all of those guys are available and lined up?
2: As yeah, as of yesterday, we're still doing that, and we're actually okay. reducing restrictions in Minnesota. So I think I'm good. The question was, "Will the house be ready?" That's the question. Mm. And the answer is probably no.
1: Well, the good news is that there's plenty of hotel space these days.
2: Yes, there is.
0: If the hotels are open.
2: Yes, I well, I've already got a hotel, and I've already talked to them, so we are good to go.
0: Very good. Good. Well, that's great. That is just super. Speaking of super, we've been
2: hearing a lot. And of I'm th- here
0: too.
3: Oh, oh, I'm so sorry, Jesse. <laughs> Speaking of super, speaking of missing, now we transition.
1: You know, he's going to call you the super millennial.
3: Yes, once again. And I go, no, Dan, I'm too young. Speaking of Jessie, she's here. Hi.
0: (laughs) Good. Now we can move on. Yes. Well, we're going to feature you a little bit later in the show, Jesse, so I'll go ahead and move on a little bit. and we'll do the
3: first <laughs> With my permission, Dan, yes. With your permission,
0: yes. What we want to talk about a little bit today, kick around, is Honeywell. They were featured in an HPC Wire article entitled Honeywell's Big Bet on Trapped Ion Quantum Computing. They like the ions over there, Shaheen. They do like their ions. <laughs> and they like to trap them.
3: <laughs> they, they,
0: that's right. That's right. Maybe they don't like the ions. We're such
3: an informational podcast. We are.
0: I think that's enough said on that topic. They're trapping ions over there and forcing them
2: to do computing.
1: That's in Minnesota, you know, where it is cold enough that you don't need cryogenics.
2: No. Dan, Dan, no, an overclocker's dream up there. No, I'm telling you that it is, it is no longer the case. It was 60 yesterday. Well, that's nice.
0: That would be
1: 60 Kelvin, right? <laughs> it was
2: 60 Fahrenheit, so you know.
0: Very nice. I want to thank you all for joining us for Minnesota chat. But now we're going to move on. <laughs> Today's almanac. <laughs> to <when> I... well. <laughs> such a struggle. Very home HPC. but So what about this thing, Shaheen?
1: So, trapped ion. Let me paint the picture a little bit because that's what I usually do. Think of a two-by-two. Two. On the left-hand side axis, you've got digital. On the right-hand side axis, you've got analog. Yeah. On the y-axis, at the top, you've got classical. And at the bottom, you've got quantum. So you've got classical physics, quantum physics, and then you get digital strategy and an analog strategy. That is our latest proposal to think of accelerators that are out there. So in the upper left-hand quadrant, you've got digital classical and that's where current computing lives. And it's clusters and GPUs and FPGAs and TPUs and et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of really good work is happening. Now, science in that quad is moving more and more towards AI or indeed some specialized algorithms that that take a general problem and focus on the specifics to make it go faster. In order to go any faster than that, you have to look at the other three quadrangles. The bottom half of that chart is all quantum computing. On the bottom left, you've got quantum digital, and that's the quantum gate model, of which Honeywell and IonQ and IBM and Rigetti and a whole bunch of others are in that category. On the right-hand side of that, you've got quantum analog, And that's quantum annealers. That's your D-wave. Exactly. So you could categorize it in that quad. The upper right-hand corner is an emerging area, and that's classical and analog, which is yet another way to go solve the puzzle. And that is the domain of so-called mixed signal CPUs, where you have analog circuitry that is aided by digital circuitry and you solve the problems that way. Now, the reason why these approaches work, as Richard Feynman said, and nature is quantum mechanical, so if you want to understand nature, you better be quantum mechanical. On the other hand, nature is also analog. So if you want to understand nature, you want to do analog. So all those three quads are where a lot of investment is taking place. So the Honeywell system is in that lower left-hand side quad. It is the quantum gate model, and within that category, where you use semiconductor technology to achieve quantum entanglement, there are multiple strategies. Trapped atom is one, trapped ion is one, and there are a few other players in there. And the whole idea of that is that you suspend in space through electromagnetic fields either an atom or, or an ion, and then use lasers to induce entanglement. Now, the reason why the Honeywell machine is interesting is because it's scoring really well on a benchmark that is emerging in quantum computing, and that's quantum volume, QV. And quantum volume looks at how many qubits you've got, what's the fidelity of this these bits in terms of quantum error correction, QEC, and what the connectivity is among these qubits, how many of them can talk to how many other ones at the same time, or be entangled so then if you have a very large calibrated pool of qubits that helps and if you can rewire the circuitry that helps but that essentially characterizes the largest random circuit that the machine can implement Honeywell of course has a long history of industrial strength refrigeration and magnetics and deep scientific stuff satellite that they can bring to bear to make this
0: okay then that was cool thank you Shane all right and they've been at this for 10 years, according to the article.
1: They have been, yeah. And they've been doing a very good job in stealth mode until they're ready to go. Now, the machine itself, it says it's going to be available mid-year this year, but people have been kicking the tires.
0: But is a 6 qubit machine really that interesting?
1: Well, it's that quantum volume thing. So if they're getting the highest quantum volume that's out there, and if their count is low, that means the fidelity is really high, which is what they always knew it would be and that the connectivity among the six is high. Hmm. So they're making up for it in other ways. Now, remember when quantum computing first came along, people were saying that if you have the perfect qubit, really a 32 or a 50 qubit machine should give you quantum advantage or quantum supremacy on a whole lot of applications. In reality, that hasn't happened because fidelity isn't there and connectivity isn't there and etc.
0: Good stuff. One of the things that we wanted to explore with our featured near millennial, because she balks at the term millennial, is how, (laughs) Jesse, what's going on with college these days? What's it like to be online all the time?
3: Yeah, it's definitely very odd, and it's definitely weirder to have to explain to folks that have been out of the college sphere for a while. No offense (laughs) there, Dan. Um, but, But yeah, because I left for spring break and then never came back. So I have a week's worth of stuff that was meant for spring break and that's it. And now I'm continuing my studies. So if you think about back when you were in college, what you brought on spring break, you know, your t-shirts and then your jeans and then a reading book and that's it. And then all of a sudden you have to go back to school. It's its a very weird transition. Wow. Yeah. And so for some of us that went back home, I went to California from Indiana. That's not as big of a deal. But for some people that are international students that went back home to like the Czech Republic, you're stuck there now for sure.
2: And how wow. do they do classes in the Czech Republic? Is there enough bandwidth?
3: I am not entirely sure. Every class that I have been in has had a different type of adaptation strategy. So, Purdue as a whole, speaking only for Purdue, has not required synchronous classes because of that whole issue. So, what professors have been doing are either uploading standalone videos to Blackboard, which is what we use, or narrated PowerPoints or YouTube videos or something.
0: So, they're uploading and it's not an interactive class.
3: Correct. Other universities have been doing interactive classes, and I believe Zoom is the platform of choice for that. Hmm.
0: I also believe that while
1: a lot of schools are using Zoom, it's more like a stopgap measure until they figure out something that has all the bells and whistles that they need. That could be
3: very Yeah. 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 So it becomes really interesting when you're dealing with classes where if you have a 50-minute class and you've got an amazing lecturer and you're used to full 50 minutes, they are bashing through slides, you're engaged, you're going, to now you've only got room for, you know, 20 minutes of uploaded recording time and then so why are they yeah it's very odd why are they going shorter oftentimes it's it's platform problems so i know for blackboard you can only upload certain length of videos interesting and so that's a slight problem as well
0: so are they just using the freebie version of of, uh, blackboard (laughs) is that it
3: Yeah, who knows? But I mean, you think about the number of universities that are on these like learning platforms—Blackboard, Brightspace, that sort of stuff—and then moving everything onto them is insane. And at the same time, like I had friends in Lafayette who were able to go into my dorm and mail me my books. But that's the other thing too—is you're without books, you're without your old notes, all that sort of stuff. You're without your clothes, and also that. Yeah, I have a week's worth of clothes. Wow. Well,
0: given that you've been doing this now for,
3: what, three weeks? Yeah. Do you see this as the wave of the future? Definitely not. You don't want it. Okay. I No, I don't want it. I really enjoy being in a physical classroom. I enjoy interacting with my professors and being able to ask good questions. Office hours are something that are huge for me. I attend office hours a lot and being able to ask those questions and being able to like sit down and have somebody draw a diagram, you lose that online.
0: Ah.
3: And same thing with interacting with your peers. See,
0: I had a policy of always saying something during class, always asking one question, even if it's stupid, in order to get the participation points.
2: (laughs) And that served me well. The, The stupid question or asking
0: a question, Dan? Always making sure they see you. Okay. And hear you.
2: Yeah. I'm not so sure in my era that made sense.
0: Yeah, probably not. We are separated by probably 18 months. (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) Quite a bit more than that, Dan. (laughs) So you don't feel, I don't want to put words in your mouth, and this is a international worldwide crisis, but I would probably, in your position, not feel like I'm getting my money's worth if this were a predominant model?
3: It's kind of tricky. Yeah, if it's a predominant model, I would say that nothing really beats in-person classes. On the plus side, what this crisis is allowing us to figure out is certain things in terms of accessibility. So if you had a student that struggled in a traditional classroom that needed some sort of academic uh, accessibility accommodation for whatever reason, this I think is really helping figure out alternate means of how to teach. And I think there will be some good that comes out of it because of that.
1: I think that's it. I think the important thing is that this new model will now be an accepted model. It doesn't have to be exclusive, but it's yet another model that is now possible and people know how to use it. Mm -hmm.
0: Does anybody think that this spells the doom of the, you know, $75,000 tuition for the upper end universities?
3: I don't think so. I don't think so. Eventually. No, because you lose so much interaction between peers and what being on campus can do for you in terms of, you know, not only intellectually, but socially as well. And what that means for especially college age kids and their personal growth, you lose that online.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a good glimpse into what's going on and how you're dealing with it.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's the way it is and it's not what we would necessarily, everybody would like, but there's good things that will come out of it. So we're trucking through in the meantime.
0: Yes. I think it's going to be some competitive pressure. I think it has to be, but we'll see. Mm. We'll see. You know, speaking of pressure. Henry, are there any reasons why nobody should ever be online ever
2: this week? There, I, I hate to bring it up, but actually there is a reason. And this time it's not Macs. It's not your phone. It's not Windows, which is the usual culprit. It's Linux. And there was an interesting article in Forbes about the Chinese state hackers have compromised Linux and Linux systems since 2012. That's, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> that's eight years. That's being late to the scene. And these are rootkits. Dan, you're familiar with rootkits. I had you one not? from the Russians. Yes, I did. <laughs> yes, you are. You sure it was a Russian rootkit or a Chinese rootkit the Russians put on your system? The only thing that
0: the, quote, experts, the highest level of security guys at a company that rhymes with Orton could tell me is that it did come from Russia and that it was my problem.
2: (laughs) Thank thank you very much. Thank
0: you for calling us. But uh, we're out. They
2: tapped out on that one. So, anyway, this is is an interesting article we should put it up. It's
1: kind of scary. But what do you do about this? Giant damage and we're late to the scene and you're not looking at the carnage. What to do now?
2: The barn has burned down. The barn has burned down. Do they have a patch for it? Yeah, there are ways of preventing the root kits from getting in. And there's a whole bunch of recommendations of things people should not do in this article. But I don't think it's pervasive for people who don't know what they're doing and did not take proper security precautions. Point is, just like with any system, whether it's your home Wi-Fi or Windows or whatever, you have to take proper security precautions and you have to be vigilant. And vigilance is critical and paranoia. Paranoia is also critical. And I excel at, at well, paranoia. You, you,
0: feel the, <laughs> you, do. you fit the bill for both. But this is... A little deeper than just making sure you change your passwords.
2: Yes, it is. You know, and its distributions and where things come from, and making sure you don't click on the wrong thing, and making sure ports are turned off. Again, it's vigilance. And I'm sure that there are people in the Linux community and the administration community that don't have these rootkits. You cannot take anything for granted anymore. Mm. That's my point. Wow.
1: This well, dude. wasn't open source supposed to really protect against that because the community would patch it all? Yeah. Shane,
2: Shane, Shane, did you believe that? I
1: didn't disbelieve it. I didn't think it ruled everything out, but I thought, yeah, I get the code is exposed. People can go and eliminate gaps.
0: You know, the no. The Easter bunny is coming on Sunday too.
1: Well, I'm sure you cannot rule that out either, Dana.
0: <laughs> yep. No, that's one of the things that always concerned me about open source when it started is who's at the top of the chain making sure all this code is secure that gets contributed.
2: Yeah. Hmm, do we know? We don't know.
0: That's that's a lull. Okay, well, this was a really good article to tell us to wisen up. Okay, hear that sound? That means it's time for the catch of the week. What do you got, Henry? Nothing. Your nets are empty yet again. Um,
1: That's not true. He had caught a whale, but he decided to let me take it to the boat.
2: Okay. Jean, Jean, just so you know, whales are mammals and you don't fish for them. It was a tuna.
0: You harpoon them.
1: (laughs) I stand corrected. Yes. He would got a dolphin. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah, which is what gave Tuna its special tang back in the day. Oh, gosh. But I guess that's all wrong now. Moving on. So, Shaheen, what do you have?
1: Well, Henry had caught a very giant fish. I thought it was just an awesome catch. So there's an article in the Register talking about an astonishingly rare film documenting British intelligence personnel linked to the Code Breakers at Bletchley Ah. Park. And we all fondly know of Bletchley Park as where Alan Turing and his team broke the enigma cipher codes etc I saw that movie but that rare film has been released by the parks trust oh offering a glimpse of unsung heroes who helped win the Second World War. So it's a must-see. It's a relatively short video of the video that is interesting to watch, and it's an excellent find. So thank you, Henry, and thanks for giving me the audio.
3: Very cool. We will put the link up there. It's a really neat video. Yeah. What do you have, Jesse? So this blew up on Twitter, and I got a good chuckle out of it, but the state of New Jersey is desperately looking for COBOL programmers. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So... The state system for handling all of their unemployment, I know, all of their unemployment applications is based on COBOL. So if you happen- Are they
0: looking for someone to move that to an MS-DOS platform?
2: <laughs> nope. nope. This is IBM MBS. I have a high school buddy who's also a college roommate MBS. who is looking to work weekends up in New Jersey.
3: That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. New Jersey is hiring folks. Yep. Dirty jurors. So he's going to enjoy that so much.
0: Oh that I can't think yeah. of anything better than living in Jersey during a
3: virus being a cobol outbreak. programmer and doing cobol This is your dystopian life <laughs> <laughs>
1: This is <laughs> By the way there's a bit of related trivia on this day in 1964 IBM introduced the 360
2: Ooh. computing series Ooh. Now nice. now we've got a nice. salute that oh definitely
0: that should be more than just an aside maybe next show we'll dive into that and give some people a history lesson very good or maybe we'll forget about it
1: bring your assembler language manuals or cards
0: <laughs> uh, yes yeah we'll, we'll do the entire show on cards but that's a very good catch jesse uh, those poor souls huh oh well so anyway let's go ahead and call that a show and we appreciate you being out there and listening we want everybody to stay safe because we can't afford to lose a listener, not with only 16 of you. Thank you for listening. Drop us a note at podcast at RadioFreeHPC.com or hit us up on Twitter at Radio Free HPC. Thank you for listening and bye-bye. Boom. Thank you for listening to this episode of Radio Free HPC. And as a quick note, the views and opinions of Henry Newman are his and do not reflect any policy or position of Seagate Government Solutions or Seagate Technology. Thank you for listening.